really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. This is a two-parter this weekend. Uh, there was so much rugby to cover, and of course, with Six Nations, I got to have my good friend John Anderson from the Scottish Rugby Podcast come on and talk, and when we get talking, we end up talking a lot. So that is what you're listening to for this one. Um, the other half of the pod will cover Major League Rugby, it'll cover the URC, it'll cover Super Rugby Pacific, and of course, the Prem, and a little update on the uh, the world rugby situation as well, or European rugby, I should say. Um, but this is the episode all about Six Nations. I really hope you enjoy it. It was so much fun to talk to John, as always. He's just incredible. Um, if you'd like to get in touch, by all means, please do so. I can always be found on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Insta at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So get in touch whenever and however you like. And with all the admin out of the way, let's get right to the chat with John, because it was fantastic, as always. Okay, it's time for reviews. And not surprisingly, we're going to start off with Six Nations uh, for their penultimate round. And once again, here to discuss it is friend of the pod and all around swell fellow, Mr. John Anderson. John, it's great to have you back. How are you? Yeah, th thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, it's uh, all, all is well here. All is well. Yep. Daddy Rich, Mama, good looking. Uh, yep, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you can obviously see my picture. Uh, your, your many fans can't, but uh, yeah, you'll know, know, know fine well that the looks were certainly from somewhere else. <laughs> Maybe we're both lucky to have faces for radio. Exactly. Yes. Yes. There's a reason. Like I've, I've tried to, like, I've tried to ask to not do the live show, you know, on the Wednesday, or at least be able to put a background on or something. But no. no. I, I, I think I have the solution. Mexican wrestler. <laughs> That's it. I'll come in as a special guest, Mister X, next week. Watch this space. <laughs> So obviously, the Scotland game is the one I want to really get into. But before that, I was wondering if you had a minute to look at the other two matches from the weekend. Ah, yes, of course. So we, on Friday night, it was Wales at home for France. And for me, strange having it on the Friday. Uh, I, maybe I'm just not remembering. Is that a usual thing? Uh, is round four usually a start on a Friday? Uh, so no, no, it's not, it's not a usual thing. It's something that's been... It has been a fixture of the Six Nations for quite some time, and it usually is Wales-France hmm. that seems to be the Friday night game. I guess I just never noticed. It's a strange one. Um, but, yeah, I, I know there was a lot of controversy with the, the, the Friday night game, in particular, uh, you know, attendance at the game was down. There was about 11,500 tickets not sold. Wow. Um, so I, 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 I was going to say, I, I read leading up to it in a couple of days that there was a ton of tickets still available, people really trying to unload them. So just out of curiosity, I went and pretended to buy tickets or try to buy tickets. And almost every section had like 40% availability. It didn't look that bad by, the game, by game time, but 11,000, you say? Interesting. Yeah, it was about 11,000. It wasn't helped. Obviously, the scheduling of the game was difficult. A Friday mm. night, it's it's never easy. You know, most people have just done a week at work, and then to to 
go and watch some rugby. It's fine at kind of club level. You know, Glasgow, we, we have games on Friday nights here quite often. Mm. Uh, Friday night is rugby night in Glasgow because, funnily enough, there's another sport, you might have heard of it, that, that kind of does <laughs> um, somewhat dominate people's interests in Scotland uh, on a Saturday and Sunday. So um, Friday nights are usually good, but also... Yeah, you you you, you, you you Scots and your baseball. You just got you yeah, can't get exactly. Enough. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, actually, there is a baseball team based in Glasgow, which is quite interesting. Just as an aside, but, is uh, there? What kind of? Uh, there is. Are, are they in a league or? Uh, yes, yeah, so there's a, a Scottish a Scottish league um, that, wow. that plays, uh, which is quite good. I I was tempted to go along and have a wee hit at some point, but I've not managed along yet. Huh. Yeah, I, I can't be bothered to follow baseball, but I will go see a baseball game in person anytime, anywhere, especially during the day. It's something about being yeah. at the park. You have uh, Baseball Scotland, which is the organisation that runs uh, runs the Scotland leagues. There's Edinburgh, Glasgow, Aberdeen. Um, I think there's two teams in Edinburgh, two teams in Glasgow, actually. So, wow. Uh, yeah. what, what's the farthest north team? Uh, I think it'll be Aberdeen. Oh, okay. There's no... Uh, yeah. North U.S. ruins? <laughs> not, not yet. Maybe, maybe there's time. Maybe if, hey. maybe if someone from North U.S. is watching this and wants, you know, I will happily, if you want to pay me, I will come up and be involved in that project. <laughs> so, so uh, by the way, about this, the broadcast itself, I, I was really happy to notice that we had Philippa, uh, I think it's Tutiet, Tutiet, uh, doing the comms again. She is a genius. I, I just love her. When she's on, even if the game itself is poor, it's still going to be a great broadcast. I thought she was great. It's, it's, it's actually really telling the difference. And maybe we'll, when we come on to Scotland, Italy, we'll talk mm. a wee bit about perhaps some of the punditry over the weekend. Yeah. But it makes such a difference when you've got someone so knowledgeable, but also who's, I think, a great commentator. Yeah. Shows their love of the game. But brings other people along with them for the journey and like almost teaches you, but oh, yeah. in a not like not in that condescending way. It's it's just bringing people along to to kind of enjoy the game and start to learn about the game, and that that's so important. If we're going to grow this game uh, across across the world, across uh, age bands, gender, whatever, then mm. having people that can do that naturally is so important. And, yeah, I totally agree. It's funny. I don't know if you've ever bothered to go and watch an MLR game but it that is a line the comms constantly have to sort of be on both sides of because you you can't just not explain what we're looking at because american fans will scratch their heads and walk away but on the other hand there's a lot of actual rugby fans watching and you can't be like this is called a try not a touchdown (laughs) i was actually a big i'm a big fan of when scotland have played the usa uh, and we've quite often the stream here has been the American comms. Oh, and it's it's great. We actually done one one of our podcasts. We touched on it because it is absolutely magnificent. Oh, it yeah. is magnificent. I feel like you could make a drinking game out of it. Oh yeah, well because it's at like three in the morning here as well. <laughs> like I, I mean, you definitely could. I think it was Finn, Finn Russell made his debut on the USA. So we played a tour. Oh. And I think it was I think it was against USA Finn Russell made his debut and it was the game was streamed on a very trashy um newspaper website here. Uh. And it had the American comms and it was absolutely <laughs> mint. It was magnificent. Oh man. <laughs> oh man, I get, I'm gonna so, I, so I know what you mean that. about towing that line. <laughs> well, uh the, the first 
thing I wrote down that Philip had dropped on us was she mentioned uh, every try France have scored in this entire Six Nations has come through five phases or fewer. They just wow. spot their opportunities and then put them to bed. What a great stat that was. Yeah, I mean, and that that speaks to that speaks to the way France are playing. They're playing with such like this weekend aside. I think France have shown they're, they're a very confident team. They score they score tries from nothing, mm. and that that is great, right? To be able to do that is magnificent. However, the the devil when you need to when when it comes to winning World Cups as like obviously is their target now, the devil will be in can they can they do essentially can they do what Scotland done to them last year? Mm. Can they run can they run twenty phases accuracy keeping the ball grind yards yards going backwards as well and can they score from there? Now they've not had to, which is like that's the dream, right? If you can score after. Before five phases, yep. brilliant. Keep keep doing that, but you're not going to win World Cups without having to grind. So it'll be interesting to see what that French team can do in that sense. That's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that too. I mean, obviously, of course, I automatically think of the NFL, and it's like the the first four or five weeks of the season, you may be great. You might be great, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the playoffs when the game becomes something different. Yeah, because the game tightens. It's always the same when. When knockout football, knockout rugby, knockout games are just different. Mm. They have a different energy. And it, a lot of times it is about, like rugby in its essence is about who makes the least mistakes. But knockout rugby exacerbates that and it becomes really like everything becomes tighter. You're not going to go as wide because the, the stakes are just that much higher. Any mistake punishable, like, you know, you throw the ball wide, Willie and Ellie, like Scotland did at the weekend. Mm. And the opposition are under your posts. And in knockout rugby, you see the score lines are never like huge. You know, we've not, but with the with the exception of the All Blacks absolutely blasting Australia off the park. And even then, that game was tight up to 60 minutes. Mm. Almost every World Cup rugby, well, the final in particular, has been a one-score game. A really, really tight, mm. tight, grindy game. And France. For all their flair, all their talent, and I've commented on another podcast as well to say that France are amazing, but they are constantly just on that edge of, you know, it's 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 do or die, and they're always on that edge, and sometimes it's going to go wrong, and it hasn't been going wrong, but averages say it's got to go wrong at some point. It's unbelievable that you just said this because if I get, I, I kind of want to screen share my notes with you right now because that was the next question <laughs> I was about to say. Where the, when you watch France play right now, they're so rapid. Just the the speed of ball is unbelievable. But I think because they're so dedicated to that speed, sometimes that pass coming out is a little loosey goosey. Sometimes it's a little above or behind somebody or over their head, and it feels like a lot of times while that ball is in the air, you're kind of thinking, uh, but yeah. then they always, right now at least, they're always catching it and they're always doing what they're supposed to be with it. As a coach, does that set off something for you? Or you're like, ah, they're, they're, they're so right on the edge. If I can do this one thing and those things start to slip, they'll fall apart. Yeah, I, th- I think from, from a defensive perspective, what you would be looking at and where Scotland went wrong against France, it was, again, passive defence. With that sort of system, it's all about pressure. So, you know, it's funny because they've got the best in business as their defence coach, and he'll know that. Yeah. You know, Sean Edwards, that blitz defence, if you're going to stop playmakers, look what 
all the best playmakers in the world, they look like they've got all the time in the world. And that's what allows France to do the mad stuff that France do. That's what, you know, allows Roman Intermac to run it from his own dead ball area, skinning five All Blacks. I know, right? I still I still have kittens about that. That is, like, unacceptable behaviour for anyone, right? Well, you know that but, thing we, we've talked about, how people love to go, like, bend over backwards to mention, uh, you know, South African-born Duhan Vandermeer, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I also noticed that uh, it's more like an anti-French thing. It's always, up oh, that's Sean Edwards' defence. Like, no yeah. other team gets their defensive coach mentioned five times as many as their actual coach. Including their nationality. No, exactly. you know, it's, it's yeah, to, to be very like, yeah, definitely not, absolutely not French coach Sean, Sean Edwards. Yeah, Ireland's it's, own. Uh, it's oh, it's it, yeah, it's lazy, lazy punditry. And you get it in the Northern Hemisphere so much. There is this like, there's certain buttons you can press. And actually, to be fair to Wales, they, they took quite a brunt of it as well mm. for, for many years with having a New Zealand coach and an English uh, defence coach. Ireland get it a wee bit just now, Andy Farrell, so actually the England-Ireland game, and this might be a nice segue that you want into this game, oh. but actually seeing the English pundits talking about Andy Farrell, and they were talked, like for me, they were talking so disrespectfully because they were saying that Andy Farrell, if he does well at the Ireland job, he might get the England job. Ah, like it's about a league or something. Like, like it's a, like it's a, so like the England job is the pinnacle. And do you know what? Yes, he is an English. He's an Englishman. Sure. His son plays for England. Do you know what? That might be his ambition. But Ireland's a better team than England just now. So, you know, if you're if you're wanting to be successful, admittedly, Ireland never get past the quarterfinals in the World Cup. Right. So. You're, ne- you're never you're never going to win a World Cup with Ireland. And that's me, absolutely. I know fine well. I've now just set that fire. And, yeah. And if I see Johnny Sexton lifting the World Cup, I swear I am not watching another game of rugby. Uh, that's, that, that is my... This is my Steve Redgrave moment. If you see me watching another game of rugby... Uh, can't you, can't yeah. you just see Johnny lifting up it over his head and throwing out his shoulder while doing it? I can well. I mean, I can see him lifting it and then throwing his shoulder out, but holding his face. Um, yeah, I can see. I can see that happening. Um, yeah. No, it was. It was. It was interesting. It was. It was incredibly disrespectful the way the English pundits were talking. But that probably doesn't come as a surprise to those of us that know the English pundits who were were on the ITV as you know, broadcasting ITV here wasn't on the BBC. Well, by the so way, I, uh, I mentioned Philippa. Do you have a, a favorite commentator in general? Is there someone who, as soon as you find out they're going to be on a game, you're like, oh, yes, thank God. Um, do you know, I, I think I like, I, I like Andrew Cotter. I think he's uh-huh. very, he, he does well, he's knowledgeable. Um, I mean, in terms of pundits, um, I really like John Barclay from a Scottish oh. perspective. Um, well, surprisingly enough, um, Brian Moore. Who is obviously just retired, despite like the the legacy of Scots people and Brian Moore is there's <laughs> there is actual books on it, right? But as a commentator, I thought he was incredibly like incredibly in the game, mm. so knowledgeable, told things like they were, was not afraid to criticise. Like you see, a lot of English pundits in particular won't criticise England. Mm. He was absolutely like batter in. It was. Everyone was up for criticism. 
and he was a proud Englishman, but he called it fairly. So I, I really liked when Brian Moore commentated. Uh, do you know Ryle Nugent in the URC? Uh, he he does a lot of the Irish games. He's got that deep, raspy Irish brogue. He, he does like many, many of the Connacht games. I just, you know, I love right. him. He's great. Right. I'll have Mostly to I just like <laughs> But uh, but yeah, uh, so, the, the oh, pundits sorry, this weekend were were, were uh, pretty awful. Um, Johnny Wilkinson spent the whole time talking in business cliches, which was quite <laughs> quite funny. I know. I mean, I, I, yeah, I tweeted about it. Even as a guy who loves, I love a business cliche like the best of us. But oh man, that was it was cringe. <laughs> there was somebody. I was watching. Uh, who was it? Bristol versus Harlequins. Just. A little while ago and i don't know they cut off the beginning of the broadcast again so you don't see the starting lineups and you don't hear the commentator say oh this is me so and so so they had this guy who was to me at least new and it seemed like he was pretty inexperienced and he was just kind of like he was busting out every cliche imaginable but then yeah. it was like he lost his mind a little bit <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was busting out the oh he absolutely ended him he absolutely folded him uh, but to his credit, he he went with uh, folded him like a t-shirt instead of the old deck chair. So at least he's nice. To oh, like creating your own your own cliches. That that <laughs> that's next level. That's that's four D cliching. Is... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's playing chess. We're just all playing checkers. Exactly, exactly. Just uh, just like Clive Woodward, eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like Clive Woodward. That's third to you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, last thing about the French game for me at least um, weird to think about not one point was scored after the 46 minute mark yeah that's bec it's becoming more of a surprisingly it's becoming more of a thing that like teams particularly in tight games and this is back to the, the you know France got the win and that's what actually is important they played, they played very poorly by their standards mm. And they put away what is, and again, I know we lost to them, but I'm going to call it what it is. This is a very poor Welsh side. Yeah. At home, yeah. So in, in the, you know, the Millennium Stadium, refuse to call it the Principality. It's the Millennium Stadium. We all know it is. You know, that that is, it's such an equaliser. It is an yeah. amazing get-up they have, and it really does drive on the Welsh team. France were poor, inaccurate, left a lot of points out there but so did Wales and what we're seeing now is particularly conditioning like the French conditioning is so much better than it used to be mm. that you're now seeing yeah they didn't score any points but neither did the opposition and that ne wouldn't necessarily have been the case in years gone by you know it's that 60 minute mark we always talk about 60 minutes and fade mm. and that's the mark of a good team and look how fit everyone is now you know, Italy didn't, they didn't fade after 60 minutes. Actually, it was Scotland that faded yeah. after 60 minutes, probably because they thought the game was won. You know, similarly in the England-Ireland game, it was more 70 minutes, but England, with a man down the whole time, eventually faded. So over, over the last couple of days, I've heard a couple of people speculate that Wales actually figured something out about what France is trying to do, especially with their lineouts. They Somebody said they solved uh, the Wookiee problem that had been happening. Um did you see anything concrete as a coach that you meant? You, you, oh, okay. Uh, this is something that the next people can take advantage of. Is Eddie Jones going to have a, a, you know, a nice little bag of tricks in his back pocket for next week? 
I mean, so international teams are so complicated now that you can solve something at 40 minutes and there's a different problem at 50 minutes. Okay. So, like, the, the playbooks are... So, we actually joke in Scotland. So, Gregor Townsend said that he actually writes a new playbook for every game. Mm. Um, so, like, the attacking plays, the set plays, everything will be different. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if other international teams are the same. Certainly, the vast core of what they're doing will be different. Um, I think it's telling, though, actually. It is, and I, I heard the same things you heard, and it is, it's telling that it's great if you can problem-solve in the park. That's a sign of a really intelligent rugby player, being able to problem-solve and being able to work things out on the park. The problem they had was they, they'd worked them out, yet they still couldn't beat them. Mm. And that's, that's a sign of how good France are. All that, they had to do was get over, their own, uh, get over the trial line just once. Yeah, and Jonathan Davis, you know, British and Irish Lion, number of times... Um, he had the chance of the game and, you know, similar to, to Stuart Hogg a few weeks ago, dropped dropped the ball. It's individual errors. Like, so when you're up against a good team and you're not necessarily a good team yourself, if you figure stuff out, it's all about executing at that point and those individual errors will always crucify you. And again, you know, Wales, Wales really, if we're being... Correct about it, Wales should have won that game. They should have won that game. They had the opportunity to win that game. But a failure to execute by the most experienced player on the park. And and there you are. Uh, they lose the game. So as we say, in the end, France were just too much for Wales. It was a low-scoring 9-13 to victory for them. Only one win to go for the Grand Slam. Do you think they're getting it next week? I, I Yeah, I think, I think they absolutely are. I think they absolutely are. And... Um, Obviously, we'll probably talk England and Ireland in a second, but they're up against an English side, probably galvanised a little bit from the the incident of the weekend with uh, you know getting a red card after eighty two seconds. Um, that can that can have a huge impact on the mentality of a team at the time. Mm. But people are also forgetting that they've had players play a full eighty minutes with fourteen players against a very brutal Ireland team. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you're looking at a very fatigued English side come Saturday. Oh, interesting. I, th- I thought you were going to go the other way and say uh, that probably built some more toughness. That probably built you know, a sense of confidence and resiliency. I think it did at the time. I think, I think at the time. You, and you I think could they, see that for sure. You could see them growing into the game. And like each, you know, it was almost like every player was you know, two short sizes bigger mm-hmm. as the game progressed. And then they died away at the end. And that's understandable. You know, fitness-wise, it was always... Ireland were probably... If we're being honest about it, Ireland played very poorly hmm. and were quite rattled against a team that they should have, like... They should have absolutely smashed England, right? That, that The scrum dominance England had kept England in the game. There was plenty of really, really good defensive play from England, but ultimately, yeah. I was never concerned that England were going to win that game. Interesting. Even so, even when was it was questions. even when it's even. Wow! Yeah, Genji had a huge game, and yeah, I mean, we're already talking about this. Of course, it, the the other match was England versus Ireland. Um, the to me, it felt really close, and something about England. It's like with every primal roar coming out of Maro Itoje, the whole team seemed to sort of puff up, as you say, and, you know, and 
after a while and the comms were even saying at one point you know ireland looked completely confused out there and i was thinking all these signs point to england this is imagine what would this would do for the english confidence and everything um the final score did not look like it was close though that's the difference that's the difference and that was that last 10 minutes where ireland really pulled away for me that was a real people obviously give england plaudits for that and you know what they're absolutely right to do so. The performance was in the face of what they were up against. Because genuinely, I had Ireland as favourites anyway. Yeah. And I think, I think fifteen on fifteen. I don't think it's as big a difference, but I don't think it's that close either. I think Ireland win that game comfortably. I think going down down to fourteen really rattled Ireland as well because the crowd, again, the impact of you know ninety thousand people screaming their heads off. Um, it had a huge impact in Ireland and mm. the Irish for me that was a real it was a real almost coming of age performance for mm. a lot of players. It was interesting to see well, who the real leaders were in that team. Native New Zealander James Lowe had a good <laughs> Native New Zealander and and uh, Native New Zealander uh, James Goodson Park uh, Gibson Park sorry he had a Native New Zealander he had a, also a very decent game. It's also a beautiful stadium. If you ever can get down to Jameson Gibson Park, yeah. <laughs> nice spring day. Yeah, the daffodils outside are absolutely lush. Yeah, the, uh, the stands, it's but, it's a sight. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I think Ireland, so I, I seen in the press the other day, people were saying Ireland two years ago, Ireland would have lost that game. And I, I, I agree with that. And mm. I think it's a sign of where Ireland have got to that I think they, again, Talking about problem solving on the park, they they had a lot of stuff not going their way, and they found a way to win. And you know, big big credit goes to the unsung hero of the piece, Andrew Conway, mm. who for me was man of the match uh, purely two reasons. I mean, defensively he was very good, but two fifty twenty two kicks yeah. that absolutely pending on back and were beautiful, beautiful kicks from a winger. Um, he he was he was he the did, difference. In the he he did botch one late that looked yes. like it might cost them in a pretty key moment. But you got you got to be in it to win it though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do I do like that the fifty twenty two seems to still shock the commentators. They have to like pick up a book and look through a few pages. Yeah, Is that a fifty twenty two? Did anyone see that? What was that? Yeah, where did he kick it? Was it pass back? Was it not pass back? What? Yeah, there's. <laughs> There's still it's it's the same as when they introduced the the kicking from the twenty two rule mm. that you could kick straight out. Commentators will take a wee while to adjust to it because it is like there is there's an element of checking all the variables. So was it passed back, you know, or was it ran back into the half and then kicked? Did it, you know, did it actually bounce in the twenty two? Except there's like all sorts of wee quirks to it that commentators need to keep up with. So as we alluded to, England, they were within three at the 65-minute mark. And that's when I sort of felt like, oh, this is coming. This is happening. But then Ireland scored tries at 71 and then 75 minutes, converting both of those. Was that them sort of figuring it out again, reasserting their dominant form from early in the match? Or, you know, was it just, like you say, sort of exhaustion and just inevitable collapse by the English? Uh, I think, I think yeah, element of e I think Ireland did have to just take stock. And I think when England leveled the game, actually you saw Ireland just really relax. And that again, Ooh. sign of a really, really strong team. 
Yeah. They were able just to, like, they were behind their posts and they just, he saw the leaders just going round and just going, let's just slow down. We've got this. This is what, this is, this is what we're trained for. We've got this. We've got the extra man. We know we can do this. And sure enough, they go up the park, next play, they get a penalty, they're back on the scoreboard. And then it was never in doubt from there. They, they, they dominated possession, dominated territory. And I think England ran out of steam as well. I feel like people have been saying Sexton should have retired four years ago for four years now. But, and I might be one of them too. I've certainly taken shots at him, but, but I thought he was great on Saturday. So, ah, uh, okay. Um, right, hear me out on this. Okay. I, I agree. I think Sexton done okay, right? The only reason I reckon if we had a more dynamic fly half for Ireland, then Ireland probably romped that match hmm. when they go down to 14. For me, and again, you know, if, if you're looking for Irish listeners, you shouldn't invite me on. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, Sexton, Sexton was very pedestrian in his, in his play. Okay. He never presented a running threat in the slightest. No. His Sexton loop, which is a great move, you know, the, the, the wraparound. Yep. Done that a couple of times, but it was only a couple of times when really with a with a defense, a man down, particularly in the forwards, what you're looking to do is just stretch the play and then condense it back in and create gaps. And Ireland with Sexton, it was always just one up, take pass. There was never any running threat. He never took it to the line. Mm. Um for me, and commentators alluded to this as well. It looked like he was kind of protecting himself. Well, that was my next question. Do you think it's just the concern about how injury prone he's been and wanting to get through this and then also wanting to get he's, – he's recently said the 2023 World Cup is going to be – is when he's going to hang it up. So he wants to get yeah. there. Yeah, I, I think I think there's absolutely an element of protectionism uh, going on there. I think he wants to make sure his body lasts the distance. He's taken mm. quite a big uh, – quite a few shots over the years. Um I, I often joke he's made of biscuits, but um, you know, he's uh, yeah, he's he's not he's not he's not the spring chicken he once was, and I think there is an element of protecting himself. But for me, it slowed Ireland's play right down. And actually, the guy I felt most sorry for in that was uh, Gary Ringrose, mm. thirteen, because he because of the way so Ireland were playing dummy runner through twelve through Aki, Aki got very little ball. Yeah, and then you use Ringrose. And he's basically just getting shoveled rubbish at all times from Sexton. And the English defence were just like, all right, we know Sexton's not going to run. So everybody just drifts one. That's your man difference right there. Interesting. You just drift one out and smash the guy in front of you. You, you can forget about Sexton. But Bundy Aki did so little carrying. It seemed like every time the ball touched his hands, he was like, you're next. Um, it, it, it was so consistent. It made me think that was the game plan. Do you think that... Yeah. Yeah. That was what they were trying to do, right? Yeah, no, it, it did seem like it. I, I, yeah, I mean, it seemed like that was the game plan. Whether that's the right game plan or not is, yeah, you know, I'm not an international rugby coach, so you know, <laughs> not yet, but, not yet. It's exactly there's still time, but uh, yeah, for me, like Pandyaki is one of your, he's one of your X Factor players. He is a huge ball carrier, massive personality. He's the sort of guy that if the opposition were down to 14 men. He's the sort of guy you want to just be popping ball to. Yeah. And again, condensing that defence in, making them come to you so that you're then just creating overlaps, you're creating gaps for guys like Ringrose to start to exploit. 
Aki for me was the key, and they didn't use him in the slightest. It was yeah. it was strange. Interesting. And again, so, Ireland caught on top once they brought on um, Robbie Henshaw, who is a more dominant personality. They brought him on, and he started running straight. And again, condensing that English defence, bringing their English back row in so that they can't just drift out one. You're going to have two or three tacklers on this big, big man. And that then creates, that emphasises your man over, which then they're able to then create tries from. So it's, it's a really simple sport when you think about it. Well, this one's out of the realm of Six Nations, but I'm a, as you know, I, I watch tons of URC and yeah, yeah. John Cooney, to me, who plays for Ulster, he's awesome and it, yeah. it was like i think he got invited to the irish camp once never made it to the 23 for i don't even remember if it was a six nations or an autumn international but and then i don't know if he ran over the coach's dog or something because he's just <laughs> never been back like and he's just kind of languishing away in ulster and i feel like they have this incredible resource just sitting there um yeah. am i just misassessing him or you know did he accidentally step on Farrell, Farrell's feet or something i don't know I mean, it's, yeah, it's a strange one. And actually, so over in Scotland, we have a wee bit of a strange kind of, like, thought about this because, like, John Curry is actually Scots qualified as well. Is and he? Had the option, he had the option of either and chose Ireland. So, oh. there, there, yeah, there's, like, there is an element of, like, oh, we man. obviously, from it's that perspective, we keep a wee eye on him. And, yeah, I mean, he's got 11 caps for Ireland. For me, he is. Uh, is he better than Connor Murray? Yes, I think uh, so. In, in in current form, I think Cooney's one of these players. He always he, he has a massive personality and he demands a lot of attention mm. when he's playing for his club side. There's maybe an element of that not necessarily fitting well at international level. Okay, with the person outside you. Mm. Perhaps, perhaps. That is an excellent point. I, I, I mean, I think it's got to be true that Sexton still is in that position where he can be like, coach, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. And as long as he's nailed on at that spot, he's going to get it. Yeah, I really, like, I love, I love the fact that Ireland are still picking Sexton. I absolutely adore it because, yeah. I mean, like, from a selfish perspective, it simply means they're not developing the next, next 10. Yeah. Like the fact they're still relying on a 36 year old to try and get them over the game, the game line against like young boys in that English team. It's, it's hilarious. They've got so much talent coming out of that Leinster side. They've got so much talent at the provincial level and they rely on Sexton. They should be really, it's, it's shocking actually that they're still doing this. Who is the, <clears throat> who is the age factor more against right now, Wales or Ireland? Who, who's in bigger uh, trouble for the next round of people coming through? That's a very good question. I think so. I think Wales are in more trouble, but not um, not internationally at the moment. Okay. I think in the next, I think Wales have got a good balance. They've, they do have, they rely on a couple of big, big talisman players. One of whom is in fact 117 also. Um, so you know, they, they do have that element of well, the Alvin Jones factor. He a, he's an old man, but they've got, they have got talent underneath him. Alan Wynne Jones, he was the one who brought the, the frankincense, right? 
<laughs> yeah. Aye, Sexton brought them on. Yeah. <laughs> Aye. Um, exactly, yeah. Um, but for me, Ireland are probably, in the longer term, Ireland are fine because actually the conveyor belt of talent without Irish rugby is just insane. So it's, it's still there. They just aren't tapping it yet. They're just not using it, yeah. And, interesting. You know, it's interesting that you find, you probably find that Ireland's average age after the World Cup will, will drop significantly, but it mm. will still be higher than a lot of other teams mm. because almost those young players that are coming through, well, they're not going to get experience. They're not going to make their debut until 24, 25. Whereas in other countries, you know, you're seeing guys, Wales in particular, you're seeing guys making debuts at 19, 20, 21. Mm. Ireland are more likely to keep you playing for Leinster over and over until you're, because, you know, you're learning how to win. And that's really important. But also they've got such a, such a massive amount of experienced talent that it's almost like they'll be, they'll be involved in camp and they'll be learning from these guys, but they won't be featuring and they won't feature until they're that bit older. Uh, this is a, a, an aside, but I just thought you'd like this. The, in that, the Bristol game I mentioned, Bristol started a guy at number 11. His last name's Beard. I can't remember his, ironically named Beard because he's, <laughs> he's like 19 years old. And they mentioned he's been playing with this club in the academy since he was 12. So to be right. there at 12 and you're learning and then boom, you're starting. I mean, it's not Six Nations, obviously, but you're starting a premiership match at the wing. That's just so cool. Well, that's it. Yeah, and actually, we've got our own, our own uh, story of that in Scotland as well. Xander Fagerson made his debut against England at 18. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realise that. Yeah, 18 years of age, made, made his debut. Um, you know, we've got guys making making Scotland appearances just now. Rufus McLean, Jamie yeah. Dobby. They're 19, 20. They're young boys. You know, so we are playing... We, we, we're blooding internationals at that age just now. Um, whereas, you know, again, Ireland got the luxury of being able to just build that side and then give, give these guys exposure later. Whether that's the right idea, though, is up for debate. Because, again, Ireland have got no success to show for it. Neither of Scotland's, but, you know, the, the All Blacks of the team you kind of base it on, and they certainly will, if you're good enough, you're old enough approach. Mm. So... Whether that's the right way to do it, who knows? But there's there's many different ways to win a rugby match, I suppose. Do you think, uh, out of all the, the the Six Nations teams, is there anyone who's going to be significantly better next week because of people returning from injury? That, that's a big that's a big question. That's a massive question. Um, I think because if, we're, we're, if Andy Farrell was fit, would you have him on the England side right now? Uh, Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell, sorry. Andy. Yeah, Owen Farrell. Yeah. Uh, no. Andy might be past his prime in terms of playing. Yeah, there. slightly. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, genuine, genuine answer. No, no, I wouldn't. Um, I've, I'm not a huge fan of his, but I just wonder with his experience and everything else that he brings, if that would make yeah, a difference. Yeah, I mean, he would, he would actually thinking about the opposition, he would be a good option. Actually, Marcus Smith missed a few kicks as well. Yeah. Um. So you'd be looking at that goal-kicking option. You're probably looking at tightening the game down, trying to get France into a mud fight. So, maybe, yeah, maybe actually Farrell would be the right option. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Marcus Smith and Farrell on the same team. Yeah, so I, I don't think that works. 
out of uh, <clears throat> out of these two teams, England and Ireland, the squads you saw this weekend, uh, any other players you wanted to highlight before we move on? Uh, so I, again, I think I think James Wall had an amazing game. Uh, actually, done a lot of work that was unseen, hmm. which for a winger is is quite quite different. Are you, obviously, are you implying he, that he played defense on Saturday? Uh, yeah, he may, he, he, may have, he may have he may have had his moments. Um, yeah, he may have had his no. He, he was very 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 good. Um, and maybe the other thing to highlight is that that we, the game at the weekend indicated that the scrummage is just a complete and utter watery. And you've got so called best prop in the world trademark tied for long getting absolutely rinsed by Ellis Genge. Genji was on fire. But... It, it, it might be the little weird porn stash he's kind of growing in now. Uh, well, and the really, really dodgy hair. Yeah, I think people just don't want to touch turning. it. Uh, but, on the other side of that, if you look at the footage, there's a lot of wheeling to take place. Yeah. And it's not necessarily going in the direction that all the penalties went. Like, um, I think Ireland would have felt quite hard done by on quite a few of those. Mm. But then I don't actually think Ireland's scrum is as good as being made out either. I think Tyre Furlong is getting all the headlines for being an all-court player. But I think his basics, I think his scrummaging is not as good as is being made out. And he often gets caught out if a referee sees him because he will pe- he, he will wheel. He's, he's, he is guilty of that. It's really interesting too for me because as somebody sort of as sort of an outsider yeah. learning the game, the scrummage is the most obtuse element in in large part because you simply can't see the ball once it goes in. Yeah. Like it, yeah. you, you see it go in and then you see it come out sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it seems like a complete lottery. Like it seems like the ref just kind of flips a coin. Nice. So it makes you go, okay, I, what, what am I missing? So you, so you go and ask players and you look at interviews and you look for interviews with coaches and they all say, yeah, nobody knows. No, yeah, that, that is that is the issue. There's so many games going on at scrummages that it's it's a, it's a, it's a game in itself. Like mm. those, those, particularly the front, the front three for each side, they are essentially just playing their own wee game when they do their scrummages. They mm. are pulling, pushing, wheeling, angling in, boring down, lifting up. They're, they're doing everything in their power to milk a penalty. And for me, the scrummage is a restart. It's not, it shouldn't be an opportunity to milk penalties. Okay. So I would argue that being a dominant scrummage, you're a, you're a dominant scrummage, so that's good, right? Um, you'll get your reward for that. But so what, for me, penalties so- shouldn't be it. If you were in charge, then what would be your answer? Would you tell your referees be much, much stricter, and we'll clean this up, or would you say, you know what, guys, stop calling so many penalties and just let? It, let I, it I would, up. I would stop calling penalties. I would just, I would just play it. If the ball's at the back of the scrum, play it. They seem a lot more willing to do that in the southern hemisphere too. A lot of times, the thing will yeah. completely collapse, and the ref will be like, use, use it. it. <laughs> yep, 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 yeah. Even if they're still driving through, they're like, no, nope, won't use it. Yeah, yeah I, I would I would be inclined to call less penalties on scrum. I think, like, I don't think it's right that a team, like, just because a team's going forward, and you'll see this so often, if any of your listeners watching the Six Nations that weekend, you'll see this 20 times over the weekend, right? The scrummage will come together, 
and there will be a dominant scrimmage and you'll start to see it move forward. Just because it's moving forward, that's not a penalty. That's right. that, that because you're just doing your job. You're doing your job. And the opposition are not necessarily doing anything wrong by being moved backwards. Mm. But watch how quickly the referee picks up and calls a penalty on it or calls advantage. Even when nothing nothing wrong has happened, they are presuming something wrong is going to happen. And it is completely wrong, and it's completely against the idea of what a scrummage is meant to be. For me, it's completely against the spirit of the game. Rewards, overly rewards uh, a dominant scrummage, which is a key part of rugby union, but it overly rewards it, and it rewards it very quickly, as opposed to, you know, a scrummage should be allowed to go as far forward as it can, whilst the opposition are not dragging it down or infringing, which in so many so many situations, they don't. They don't let them get to that point. So I want to get to Scotland, and I'll segue with this, this question I often hit people with out of, out of the blue. So we had, we had England and Ireland, two really good squads, for the most part. Um, if you had the opportunity to just reach into either of these sides and just steal a player take them out, swap them into the Scotland squad, would you do that, and who would that be? It's a very, very big question. Um, and it probably shows, actually, the confidence that, despite the season we've had, uh, confidence that Scotland fans have. Um, I, I, England and Ireland, I genuinely won't think there would be one player. Yeah, Even, I, can't, I can't think of one. I, I, don't, I don't think there would be anyone. Maybe... If, if you're basing it on the squads at the weekend, Scotland were ext- are extremely stretched at lock. Mm. So I might take a James Ryan okay. at a push. Certainly wouldn't take a Toji because he's a penalty machine. Um, usually. Played very well at the weekend. <laughs> they talked all about that all, all game long. He, he plays oh, right on that edge. He plays right on the edge. We heard all about it, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, oh the, the I think he should, factor. In, he should look into selling his image rights in some way. I wonder if there's some Yeah, yeah. Looking. Yeah, I wonder if there's like a compilation like of Mauro Atoji um, patting people in the head like on YouTube. Maybe he could NFT that and uh, <laughs> make, 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 some, make some money. Uh, selling the rights to him patting people in the head. Um, yeah. Um, no, I, I genuinely think, like, from a Scottish perspective, obviously, maybe talking about depth, I might take one of the one of the props. Maybe Kyle Sinclair. Maybe maybe tied for long. I, I like um, I like Sinclair with the beard. Uh, yeah, it's much better. Much yeah, better. New element. I like it. Yep. Well, I, I, I'm a big fan of a beard. Big fan of a beard. <laughs> if that beard had been there for the World Cup and had been thicker, maybe Mara wouldn't have knocked him out by accident at that time. Oh, yeah, there we go. It would have been the cushion that he needed. Exactly. <laughs> we call it the semi-rundrandra. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes. It's lower, been hanging out with the lower scrum cap. Hanging out with Semi too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to assume that the match that you and I both paid the most attention to this weekend was, of course, Italy at home for Scotland. Did see Scotland winning in Rome. The final score was twenty-two to thirty-three. Uh, you know, just what were your immediate impressions watching this one? Uh, so initially, really disappointed. Really, mm. really disappointed. I think um, I think this Six Nations for Scotland, in spite of beating England, we we beat in England. Uh, really, England beat England, right? We mm. we kind of we kind of just took advantage of an English side that were 
doing their best to lose a match. And for me, this Six Nations has been a massive step backwards for Scotland. And actually, I spoke prior to the game that Italy are a side in transition, as they always are. But we shouldn't be looking at Italy as a banana skin. And we should certainly be looking to put as many points on that team as possible. Mm -hmm. I predicted we should put 40 points past them. We we were we were a try off that, but we conceded a lot of points as well. That's the and big the, thing. the big difference with Scotland this year is we are conceding tries. We're conceding tries. We're conceding silly tries, but it all comes down to discipline. Our discipline's the worst in the Six Nations this year, by some margin. We've conceded so many penalties. Yeah, and it's it. You know the the phrase "coach killer" comes to mind because. Those penalties, so many of them are pointless, brain-dead penalties mm-hmm. that at this level, you can't, you just can't get away with it. Like, right. teams will put you in the corner, will maul you over, doesn't matter how good your mall defence is, they'll put you in the corner, they'll score against you. Or they'll put three points on you. And this is, this is how you always matches. It doesn't matter. You know, we talked prior to the 2019 World Cup, Scotland were playing I quote, the fastest brand of rugby in the world, right. trademark, right? This was our idea. Organised chaos wasn't that organised, but it was chaotic. <laughs> we're, we scored, we're halfway there, folks. We scored some magnificent tries. Some yeah. magnificent tries. But ultimately, we also conceded a lot of points. Mm. We averaged 3.4 3. tries a game. Wow. We're, we're, we're you know... We got that down last last couple of years. That's been down at one, wow. which is where you want it to be. You want it to be single, you know, one 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 to two. That's your range. Obviously, if you can get it lower, brilliant. But acceptable one to two. You, we we stopped playing this crazy brand of rugby. We still could score good tries, but it was more pragmatic. Right. It was more controlled. But this Six Nations, we went away from that. Look, look at the tries Scotland scored at the weekend. They were all tries almost out of nothing. Um, a couple, like, crazy line breaks. Crazy line breaks. It was like watching Scotland in 2017 again. And mm. that gives me the fear, because that is not a Scotland that's going to win tournaments. Well, so the, the Scottish rugby podcast that the, the BBC does, that they came out with that very, very quickly after the match. And, you know, I wasn't feeling great anyway, and it made me feel much worse. Oh, know, yeah. They stated pretty plainly that Scotland have their word was regressed, and you know they were pretty emphatic about that over the last couple of years. They pointed a finger squarely at our defense. Uh, do you think yeah. they're right? Uh, yeah, we conceded a lot of points. Um, we conceded a lot of points. We conceded a lot of penalties. We conceded penalties in defense that we shouldn't concede. Um, well, the, the so penalties much- you keep talking about. Where is the hole that needs plugging? There is that. Is that a a coaching thing? Is it just? Uh, what causes a team to go down a hole like that? Uh, so, yeah, so we're conceding penalties. You always look at penalties in a kind of in a lens. There's penalties that are almost good penalties to concede. There are penalties that show eagerness, you know, sure. offsides. Offsides one that is frustrating, but it shows eagerness, shows line speed. You'll get away with it most of the time as well. So if mm. you get pinged two or three times for offside, you're probably not that worried. Okay. Right. Penalties at breakdown. So penalties for competing for the ball. So a defensive penalty at the breakdown, probably again, you're not that bothered about. 
again, just shows you're trying to slow ball, you're trying to contain the opposition, you're putting yourself out there. Penalties conceded for retaining the ball in attack at the breakdown, brain dead. Yeah. Because you've got players running away from support, you've got players that are too slow to the breakdown. And actually, it was better this weekend. Rory Darge made a huge difference again. Mm. His, his performance was magnificent. So I think Amy Watson was good. For me, uh, Matt Fagerson was just immense in mm-hmm. that back row. Though. He, and, you know, against two very, very big shining lights, I think for me, Fagerson was a standout. But the balance of that back row just didn't feel right. And we moved away from our support play. We, the problem we have with having such talented individual players in Scotland, we almost are trying to, because we're in a bit of a rut at the moment, there's an element of trying to do it all ourselves. Mm. And with that, you move away from your support play and then you concede silly penalties. And it showed when Scotland controlled the ball and you know went through a few phases and just kind of took their time, actually we looked dangerous and we, we looked very controlled and looked like there was an opportunity there to kind of stretch that Italian defence. But too often we were just going to the the Hail Mary pass very quickly, mm. which we didn't need to do. Well, Italy, they only scored a single try in all uh, three prior rounds. Then they got three against Scotland. Yeah. On yeah. top of the six we let in against France the previous round, that's nine tries in two matches. So there's there's a 4.5 average for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, is this yeah, about as bad a sign as I think it is? Yeah, no, it is. We're conceding a lot more tries. We are. Uh, we've conceded 11 this tournament so far, which is uh, the same as a couple of years ago. And we've not played Ireland yet. Um, so, you know, the, every every measurable shows us we've actually regressed this year. I think there's been a massive issue with leadership. For me, Stuart Hogg is not a captain, right? He is not the captain. Actually, it was telling at the weekend that he wasn't even coming forward. So often, you know, there's 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 an element of the the circus around kind of captaincy, and it's like, okay, does Stuart Hogg have to run fifty meters to come and tell us we're going for the posts? Probably not, right? But it was telling that he wasn't even bothering to do it. Mm, um, Finn Russell was calling that. Um, so you're saying they should, they should switch to semaphore, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they should always have a forward as the captain, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jamie, Jamie Ritchie, sadly out injured, but he's the kind of prime. Everyone talks about Jamie Ritchie's leadership. I think he's probably next in line for the captaincy. Mm. We've also got an issue with Hogg and Russell, and there's it's two separate issues. Hogg, for me is trying too hard and making a lot of mistakes doing it, which results in that running up blind alleys. Done that so much at the weekend. His kicking game wasn't great. He defensively was a turnstile. It was quite, it was disappointing to watch him in that place. And I don't, it doesn't look like a guy who's, doesn't look like a guy who's enjoying playing rugby at the moment, <laughs> actually. Well, the I, same I, is true. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the same is true of Finn Russell, actually. He, he looks like a man who's not happy. Yeah, I, I want to get to him in a sec. Uh, I did want <laughs> it's kind of a side thing, but uh, I had a great moment on Saturday when I'm, I'm watching my, my son comes over and he clambers up on top of my lap while I'm watching 
and it was right when Hoggy scored his try. My son points at the television and goes, is that Stuart Hogg? <laughs> <laughs> That melted me so much that my wife had to soak me up with a sponge and just wait for me to reconstitute. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I, we, we bring him up because he's obviously been listening to both of our podcasts where we've been speculating that he's been become a bit predictable for opposing defenses. He really seemed intent on, uh, intent on mixing it up. It seemed like the, okay, I have the ball, therefore I'm going to run it straight down the your throat. He, he kind of stopped doing that. He did it a couple of times, but he seemed to be to me, it looked intentionally sort of saying, no, I'm going to do this other thing. No, I'm going to do this, this other thing. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think yeah, there, there was definitely tension in the game plan. Mm. Uh, there, was, there seemed to be quite a lot of things that were, uh, yeah, people were disagreeing with what they were being asked to do. And you saw, actually, it was a really telling sign quite early on where I think it's Finn, Russell's, Finn Russell kicks the ball. It's not a great kick goes out into touch, but it's, you know, it's, we've not made huge distance and there's almost, he's like shouting at other people and it's not in a demanding more of people. It's in a, I'm not really happy with what's going on around me here. Mm. And like, it was almost kind of justifying what he'd done. Interesting. Which, but the game plan was clearly to kick the ball. Um, so there was like an element of, I think there was a frustration that actually, and you know what it's telling, when Finn Russell cut loose a wee bit, we looked very dangerous. Like the, there was a moment where he broke the line and we offload through the back. Um, great, well, great tell, tell, me, tell me where that was, because my next point was, I feel terrible, but I thought Finn was kind of bad. And uh, I've never I've never said that before. Uh, when did he bust loose? Because I must have missed it. Yeah, no. So I think you're absolutely right. I think there was an element just before the before the end of the first half and then towards the, the initial part of the second half, I think he started to carry a wee bit more. Mm. And his passing game was a wee bit wider. He challenged the line a wee bit more, which in the context of Finn Russell is not, you know, the fact that we're looking at like two or three moments where he'd done something interesting, in the context of Finn Russell, that's it's a poor game, and I, I thought it was I thought it was quite poor as well. I think he's been poor all Six Nations actually, and I could add on to that. I think he's been poor throughout the autumn. I do wonder if he's carrying an injury still. Yeah, um, we've talked about that. I, I do. Yeah, wonder. I'd, um, well, he was injured on the Lions tour. He had a, an Achilles injury that was meant to require surgery and then didn't. It was being managed. Um, he's also played a lot of rugby. You know, he went straight from a top 14 season with Racing yeah. all the way straight into the Lions. They don't go easy on you in the, in the top 14. A couple of weeks off, he was straight back into the Racing team. And then he's played consistently since then. So I do wonder if we're getting a little bit of a, a guy has played a lot of rugby and he's a bit tired. Well, it definitely seemed like the game plan was, Finn, don't try to do too much, just kick it. Because it seemed like he was kicking it every time the ball gets in his hands. And on one hand, when he's in the flow, I feel like he makes he makes great kicks. They're clever and deceptive, and they yeah. come out of nowhere. But when all he's doing is kicking, and he, I feel like it prevents him from getting in his groove, and he doesn't get a chance to do the thin things, those little subtle passes and the stuff. It, yeah. I feel like they took away 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's his level of joy right now. Uh, I don't know. But uh, it seemed like the game plan took Finn out of the game before we even started. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the game plan was to kick the ball. I think they relied on it. Do you think that was like, a, like an overreaction to how much criticism we got last week for not doing a good job in the kicking battle against France? Um, I think there might be an element of that. I would, I would be... So I would be disappointed if a co- if an international coach picks his tactics based on criticism. Tunzi shouldn't be listening. Right? No, it shouldn't be. But but he might have come to the same conclusion. He might, he might, yeah, he might have looked at it and said, "Well, do you know what? Actually, yeah, we didn't kick the ball well, or we didn't kick enough. Let's." But for me, it's frustrating because the game plan for the two games, where if you reverse the game plan and you kick more against France, you pin France back, make France do a lot of the running and try and get that challenge at that breakdown. You know, unfortunately, Hamish Watson went down with the COVID. But, you know, if you could have that dual back, the, the dual open side approach, Matt Fagerson playing well, you could really have challenged France to to play, play some rugby and actually beat us as opposed to us beating ourselves. Whereas Italy, we just kicked the ball away and said, on you go. We know you will break the line occasionally, but we also know we'll turn you over eventually. Um, play, we'll play off your mistakes, which was a really, it was a really defeatist and backwards way to play. Yeah, instantly. I thought that was a little arrogant. Usually, that's not a word I use in our game planning. Uh, yeah, I, I either I would either go arrogant or actually lacking in confidence mm. because there was there was an element of. The arrogance is we know that Italy are not going to break us down. And actually, they've done quite a good job of breaking us down. Let's be clear. A couple of those tries, they left points on the park as well. Um, whereas I think there is a, there's a lack of self-confidence in that team. Ah, well, that's a great point because... So, you know, is that self-confidence in the players or is that a confidence in the squad on the part of the coach? Um, one of the other things they talked about on that same BBC pod was it really stuck in their craw that, you know, Adam Hastings didn't get onto the pitch and there, until there were about four minutes left. Yeah. Same thing for Hodgson, Tuapalatu, and Velikot. They said Their point was basically, what's even the point of bringing somebody on for four minutes? They can't, you can't impact a game significantly at that point. Yeah. And it, it, what they said was it really shows us what Gregor Townsend actually thinks of these players. Is that just, you know, is all this stuff coming from the overreactions because it was so soon after the match, do you think? Or is there something to that? Um, I, so I think it is a slight overreaction, but I think there's an element, there's a grain of truth in it. For me, I agree. I think, like, bringing someone on for four minutes at the end. I do and, think that's pointless. literally didn't have any sweat on him as they were sh- no, him. No, no. Yeah, his strip was pristine. Yeah. Um, Thank for me, for me in particular, actually, the Ben Velikot one is quite annoying because so if you watch the game back from now, Ali Price was rightly man of the match. I would maybe argue Matt Fagerson had a shot at that as well, but Ali Price was brilliant, controlled the game really well, right? But from about sixty minutes, his so you always judge a, a, a scrum half. Look at a scrum half, how many rocks they get to. So really, a scrum half should probably be at, at early early in the game. They'll be at everyone, mm-hmm. and then as they get through the game, it'll be you know everyone except the tenth one, right? Look at Ali Price from about 
55 to 60 minutes. Look at him. He's laboring. He is really struggling for fitness. Cool. And what watching him come off the pitch after 74 minutes, he was spent 10 minutes before then. Huh. But watch, watch him come off, and he is puffing as he's coming off. Now, he had a big shift. He played well. Yep. But you've got a guy, Ben Bellicott, who is rapid. You, you pick a bench to lift the case of a game, and then you don't utilise it till the game's done. The game yeah. was done. Actually, all it done was invite Italy to come and score. So it's really strange. And I, the, the Hastings thing, the Hastings thing has been a farce. It's been an absolute farce. When he came on, I almost, I mean, obviously I'm just reading into it, but I felt like Hastings' face was like, what? Really? Yeah. Like, you bothered to actually have me in the squad and now I come, like, what am I going to do? Yeah, how, how does that make a player feel? You know, you've, you've been called away from your club team to come and represent your country. Rightly or wrongly, you could argue, you know, he's obviously not been picked for Six Nations games. And they talked a lot about his reaction mm. to being uh, to being dropped. And, you know, I, I've met Adam Hastings a few times. He's a very, very nice boy, very confident, but also very self-deprecating. You know, mm. he, he, he takes his licks. He knows, he knows when... He knows how good he is, but he also knows he's got lots to improve on. So he's one of those players who is not arrogant. But I, I just think, like, if you've been brought away from your club team for reasons that, you know, may or may not come to pass, that we'll find out about them, but you've been brought away from your club team to come and fill a bench spot, and then you're getting five minutes at the end, I, I just think it's, it's not great. And Finn wasn't playing well. As we've touched on, so right. you could you could have justifiably brought Hastings on at sixty minutes and no sure. back Especially when the game plan isn't. Let's see if Finn can do some magic. The game plan was yeah. If the game plan is to weather the weather the ball. Well, we don't think we don't think Hastings can kick it every single time he gets it. Like, I mean, yeah. Hastings has got a very good kicking game. I think actually, whisper it, bring Hastings on and let him challenge that game line because he has he's very good at breaking tackles. He's very good at getting past people. We score tries from breaking the line. That's generally how you score tries is you break a defence. You break a defence down by breaking a single tackle. It's often a single mistake costs a try. Mm. Hastings is able to do that. And Finn Russell, for all the talent Finn Russell has, he's tired. He's not taking the ball to the game line. And he looks disinterested in what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. So I think Hastings could have come on much earlier. I think he should have. I think Ben Velicott should have come on much earlier. Definitely. Um, it was a yeah. It was just and it sticks. It just adds, and this is the frustration. Like we've come away from it, and do you know, ultimately, we're talking about a bonus point victory away from home against Italy, right? Five years ago, ten years ago, that is brilliant, right? Job done. We judge Scotland on a better plane now. Mm. They are. We 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 demand more of them, and. That was a poor performance during a poor Six Nations, and the fact that it's being almost to most observers poorly managed just adds fuel to the fire of the kind of annoyance. There's a real annoyance sitting around Scotland at the moment, like around the coaching decisions, around just the performance, like. I th- I th- yeah, both. Do you, both, do you think, think the uh, do you think the needle's swinging back, uh, sort of against Gregor right now? Uh, yeah, I think 
like you if you look at the if you look at the narrative from the fans, usually like so forums and various kind of rugby places are they're usually they're emotional places, right? You get the emotional fan reaction, but yeah. actually if you look overall at the tone of the reaction, you tend to get a good indicator where Scotland fans are. And for me, there's a lot more questions about Gregor Townsend now than there was last year. Now, or that even, makes before, even before the Six Nations started this year, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the autumn actually, for me, was worse because we beat Australia. But again, the autumn was poor performances. The Japan game was a huge letdown. Um, we just, we laboured to those victories. And to be fair, not, it was a really weird autumn international window this year. So, something about yeah. all those games were a little head scratchy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But you expect, like, so autumn generally is when Scotland tend to be at their their best. Yeah, you, yeah. See, you see, like, exciting rugby in the autumn. A little less Scotland. pressure. You can try out some new guys, try out yeah. some new ideas. Yeah. And it, yeah. was, it, it, was, it was poor. So, yeah, yeah I just, I think there's, there's question marks over the coaching team. I think there's question marks over the leadership. Um, I don't know how you solve that. Easily, I think Jamie Ritchie getting injured was a huge blow. Mm. A huge blow. And it can't be underestimated the impact that, yes, it's one man, but he is, a, I've said on, on the Scottish Rugby podcast, he is irreplaceable. Mm. Irreplaceable uh, in that role. I think you're, the closest you'll get is Darch. And by gosh, he's doing a, he's doing a good, a good day. Uh, I mean, if you saw him, you would be like, Do you know what? Yes, yes, you can play with Queen. You are acceptable. You are a good imitation, my son. So, uh, Darge and Watson together, are you a fan of the combo so far? I don't think it was utilised well at the weekend, but okay. I think it has real potential, and I like the idea of it. Mm. Um, Scotland have often played with two sevens. And actually, people forget Jamie Ritchie was a seven when he came through as well. Oh. So, Jamie Ritchie moved to six quite early in his career. Interesting. But, um, Jamie Ritchie was a seven when he came through age grade, so you have you have that jackal threat, that that two almost two hunters looking to turn over ball. Scotland need breakdown dominance. Yeah, that is where Scotland thrive. Fast ball, generating those sub three second rocks, making sure we've got ball presented. Go, 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 go. That's how Scotland build tries. If you're not doing that, you labour, you then kick. Yes, our kicking game has been strong, but the 50-22, people are they're defending it better. Mm-hmm. It's it's not as much of an unknown to people now. So we we I think I think Darge and Watson are a great combo. I think it's it's got potential to work out. Um and I think Richie coming back into that mix is great. I think it's just great to see uh, Rory Darge obviously got it out in at seven against France and was by far and away Scotland's best player. People often wonder, you get to the end, towards the end of a career and you think, how do you replace a player like Hamish Watson? How do you replace a player like X or Y? Mm. And then it just seems to pop up that a player yeah. comes in and you're like, all right, okay, I can see where this goes. So, but yeah, Darge has been tearing up trees for Glasgow all season. So, um, great to see him getting the recognition he deserves. Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, it, I think if you look at our 
front three, maybe three or four years ago, Skuman wasn't in there. It, it just looks a lot different to me. I think Skuman has been really good. You and I have talked about him quite a bit. Uh, I asked Craig uh, if he was concerned that if his thighs get any bigger, it might affect the tides. It's a big boy. Him and Ollie Cable are both very big units. Yes. It's funny, too. It, I don't know. Do you remember uh, Garbisi put in a kick at one point and Skuman was was uh, charging him down and just did the like lift up the arms. I, I'm not trying to smack you. Garbisi looked like he was a deer getting shot on ice. Yeah. There's a, a moment, um, I think it's midway through. Midway through the second half, I believe, there's a moment Schumann clears out a ruck and honest it is like a missile. Um it, he the the hit he puts in at this ruck, I was surprised it wasn't looked at again mm-hmm. just because of the ferocity of it. Yeah. He absolutely obliterates the guy. <laughs> and it's like, oh, 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 we like it, but Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for them to review it. I, I did think they were going to say, "Oh, well, it just turns out that guy's a lot bigger than you." But yeah, yeah. So, but no, Skuman, Skuman's done well. Um, so, for the, George Turner. For, well. for the first time this weekend, I heard them call him the Hair Bear. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Had you heard that one before? <laughs> uh, so that that was the nickname uh, given to the, the Welsh props uh, a few years ago. That was uh, Adam Jones and uh, oh, is that right? Jones. Oh. Yeah, they, they, they were the Hair Bears. Well, um, we can't use a recycled nickname for this no, guy, and no, no. I, I think I've got it. So if if you feel, if you guys steal this, please give me credit. Uh, we'll we'll credit will go. He's the he's the Skunami. Skunami. Ooh, I like that. Right? I like that. And I, I know quite a lot of our listeners in the Scottish Rugby po- uh, podcast listen to this as well. So. Uh, yeah, we'll see if that gets a wee out. And that's good. <laughs> I'll see if it gets it's any traction. Skunami, I like it. I like it. Uh, I should let you go pretty quick. I, I want to. Th- I have an idea here. I'm going to give you three more Scottish players' names, and you get to decide cool. who, who you want to talk about. Right. Okay. We got, we got Darcy Graham. We got Grant Gilchrist, and we got Sam Johnson. I, I have to say, I'm kind of hoping you're going to pick Sam Johnson because I want to know if he's what you've been looking for in that Scottish 12 jersey. <laughs> Right, so first of all, let's not talk about Grant Gilchrist because, I mean, ugh, it's like it's like watching paint dry. It's, you know, <laughs> Somehow, like, of all people, he impressed my son. I, I think it's just his size. I don't think my son's size ogre like people. And he, he was like, with, with who's that, that guy? Yeah, I mean, you know, what? I'm being I'm being really hard on Gilchrist there because he's played well. He's added a, a degree of leadership to that line out, uh, which. You know that's what he's in there for. He put in some as a line, yeah. As and you know, as a as a, a line out operator, there's not many better. He's a very good player, so let's. But he's not very exciting as a player. Hmm. Sure. Um, Darcy Graham was magnificent as well. I think. I think Darcy. Darcy this tournament in particular, Darcy's been very, very good. Um, in a poor Scotland side, he's re- he really works hard. But. I agree. Let's talk about Sam Johnson. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, so I predicted on Friday, I predicted that because Sam Johnson was back in the Scotland team, that Finn Russell would get man of the match. Now, yeah. I admittedly was very, very, very wrong in this sense. But I do think Sam so Johnson... Even if Finn had had the best game of his life with the game plan we had, I, he still couldn't have gotten man of the match. He just yeah. couldn't have. Yeah. 
yeah, no, I think it was absolutely, you're absolutely right. Like, it wasn't a game designed for your 10 to be a right. match. Yeah. Um, but I do think Sam Johnson, now, he's come up for a wee bit of criticism, actually, for since a few... This game? Uh, since this game? yeah. Yeah, he's really? come up for, up for some criticism. Um, I think Sam Johnson is, is exactly what Scotland needed at, at 12. And I've said this a few times, I think he's He's a very underrated player. Okay. He kind of goes under the radar as being this guy who, you know, he's just a big, a, a bit of a crash ball merchant, but he's not big enough to be that. And mm. defensively, you know, he's kind of, eh, but he doesn't offer a jackal threat. He's he's a very talented rugby player. He 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 demands respect. A Scotland backline now, with Chris Harris at thirteen, a Scotland backline. Tends not to, it's not going to be terribly exciting at 30, right? He's not the most, despite scoring two tries at the weekend, he's not the most exciting 13 in terms of running lines. I also thought his defense wasn't where we expected it to be. Wasn't as good as it should be. Yep, I totally agree. I think he was let down by Darcy Graham, actually, oh, slightly. Okay, okay. Um, but that's, that'll be, there was a, a system error was going on there. Um, that wasn't really working out for him. But I, I agree. I think he wasn't as great as he could have been. Just let a few people slip through. Yeah, yeah. I think there was an element of it was often having to look outside him because mm, okay. Graham, Graham missed, like for me, and oh. I haven't seen the official stats, but Graham missed quite a few tackles or certainly was out of position uh, okay. for a few tackles. So, but Harris, Harris should be doing better. We expect better of him. That's you know that's why he's there. He's there as defensive linchpin. So you could even argue maybe if Harris is having a bad game, that then puts pressure on Darcy Graham. Mm. And maybe maybe there was the issue. Maybe I'm being harsh on uh, Darcy Graham. Just to make clear to any Edinburgh fan listening to this, and uh, <laughs> so I, I don't don't get letters, you know. But um, I'm sorry, I distracted you from Sam Johnson. Sorry. No, yeah, I, I just think Sam Johnson is—he's a very, very talented rugby player. He—he's a smart rugby player. He—he he runs hard lines. He's defensively very solid. He has a good distribution game as well. He can pass well. If you look at Scotland victories over the last two, three years, or even Scotland near victories like that Twickenham game. Look who look at the players that have been involved in those. And Sam Johnson is often at the heart of a lot of the good things Scotland do. He plays very well off Finn Russell, and I think they're a great partnership. Mm. And if you're build, building towards a totally World great. Cup, and I said on Friday, you build towards a World Cup, you've got your access there now. We know nine, we know 10, we should know 12, and we should know 13. So you've got your axis and backs there sorted. Obviously, 15 is not going to slip either, but, you know, fine. Um, so you should, in theory, have the makings of a very, very solid, like, first choice backline there. And I just want to see 10, 12, 13 given time in the chair to go and, like, build those relationships because I think 10, 12 works. I don't think Harris and Johnson work as well as they could yet. Okay. But the but time. Yeah, I was going to say that that they're pretty new with each other, right? It, it's interesting because I I feel weird bringing it back to Stuart Hogg, but like 
I feel like we've seen some chinks in his armor recently. We talked about predictability. We talked about how he tends to do the same things over and over. We talked about how they've given him the captain responsibility from a position that's really hard to captain from. And I think you'll agree, he's just not, he's not 100% under the highball anymore. Like uh, when the, the highball goes up, I'm like, oh, oh boy. Like it, it feels like you're going to roll the die. Um, would Stuart Hogg be better at a different position? Oh, now there's a question. Uh, okay. I, I, I've so, seen him play fly half and he was okay, but it was an emergency kind of situation. But I'm not, I'm not thinking about the 10. I'm thinking about something else. He's played there, he played 13 for Glasgow. How did that go? Uh, he scored a hat trick on the only time he played 13. Oh, I've uh, solved it. <laughs> Thank you. We're done. He, he, was, he, was a, he was a very young boy when he played, played 13, though. So he played very well that night. Um, yeah, so I think, right, so Stuart Hogg. Um, I don't know who for, would replace for me, him at 15, though. That's the thing. Yeah. I, 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 so I think he doesn't. I think he stays at 15. But I think Stuart Hogg's a very, very, let's say, thoughtful person in terms of, I think he spends a lot of time, a lot of these professional players obviously spend a lot of time thinking about their own performance. Mm. I think Stuart Hogg does struggle with his own performance when things aren't going right. And I think in his life, you know, maybe not as all, all is not well there. And maybe a bit of struggles kind of creeping into a bit of frustrations oh, creeping into his performance. I just think that he doesn't, again, I said it earlier on, I don't think he looks like a happy person hmm. playing rugby just now. And look at the way when yeah, he makes mistakes. Even when he scored the try, too. It wasn't the the super exuberant Stuart yeah. we used to. It, it, it was, was like, okay, guys. Yeah, it was It was like it was like a chore. Yeah. Uh, he got he got the try. Him and Ali Price did the retwirl, which was lovely, but it was kind of like, oh, all right, okay. He just, to me, looks like a guy who is... It looks like a guy who's scared to make mistakes, hmm. but it's also because of that, he's overcoming that by trying too hard mm-hmm. and he's trying too much and tries to take on so much in the Scotland team. And the leadership thing is part of that issue. Because he's the captain, he feels, you know, he's always been a very passionate player. Emotionally, his emotions have got the better of him quite a few times. So to see him struggling, you know, he had two passes to Kyle Stain later on in the match. People are saying Kyle Stain overrun them. They were crap passes, let's be honest. Um, you know, it's and to see him his reaction to those things, you know, it isn't people criticize Finn Russell for the smiling and laughing. But Stuart Hogg's the opposite of that. He is there yeah, yeah. like punch, punching his hands and yeah. there's a frustration in his play just now that when Stuart Hogg is happy and playing comfortably there isn't that level of like aggression with himself. So I would keep him at 15 because I don't think there's a better option, but I would take the captaincy off. I think someone else needs to be captain. Maybe when Jamie Ritchie comes back, maybe that'll be the perfect time. I think su- summer tour, uh, summer tour seems like the right, the right time to kind of switch that over. Give Jamie Ritchie the captaincy for the, for the Argentina tests and, uh, yeah, just take it from there. So we've obviously spent all this time talking about the Scottish players. And, and by the way, uh, I, I forgot to ask earlier, 
what is the tattoo on Allie Price's left tricep? <laughs> like, it's, it's so specific. It looks like it has to be from something, but I'm not getting it. It almost looks like a like a skateboarding graphic or something. I'm like, it's, uh, it's not great, is it? I, I mean, when you said what that, is it? Uh, my, my reaction was going to be, like, what, what, what is it? My reaction was going to be, it is a mistake. It is what happens when you're 15. Yeah, it's when I when you sneak into. Uh, it looks pretty fresh. Uh, uh, he's, he's had it for many years. He's, he's had it since he came through at Glasgow. But uh, yeah, it's a strange one. I've never heard one. it explained. But yeah, it's not. It, it's not so specific. Best. It has to be a reference to something. Uh, I would love to find out what that is. Yeah, uh, we'll, be, we'll maybe uh, put it out to the fans and we'll see if we can get get an answer on it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's so a big we- one. We didn't say anything about any of the Italian players. Uh, of course, I thought Garbisi was excellent as always until he, he was shot by the elephant gun that is the Tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, their debutante replacement, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was Teen Wolf, but they, they, listed, <laughs> you know, yes. they listed his name. I'm, I'm surely going to butcher it, but it, uh, it was like Anje Capuazzo, that little water bug guy. He got his abrasive tries in like, 10 minutes footwork all over the place and he looks like it's like a, a movie or a play when the the 13 year old girl says oh i'm gonna pass as a boy from, from now on and just cuts cuts her hair and you know puts on different clothes uh just just he, a, a, he was he unbelievable he played really really well his footwork in particular was was yeah. magnificent um he did look yeah i agree he looked slightly ill when he came on like uh, i don't know if that's a debut thing or if he actually doesn't have a tan uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it certainly looked like it looked, it looked like it looked like he could maybe do with not playing as much Call of Duty and be outside a wee bit more, like just get a just get a wee bit of color in your cheeks. And that's coming from a Scotsman. Let's be honest, right? We we're a big we're a big fan of Peely Wally, like like the white the whiter pale the paler you are in Scotland, like we're we're okay with that. But yeah, I mean, it it, it looked it looked a little bit ill. To oh, be honest, so... he, he's got Fortnite written all over him. Oh, he definitely does. Yeah, he was he was flossing <laughs> when he was celebrating, wasn't he? Uh, <laughs> Once he got yeah, that first no, try, it, it was all uh, for him. He was like, "Oh, I can do this," and that was that was that. I was shocked to learn he was twenty two. Like, Where's yeah, he been for the last uh, four years? Well, that that's it. Yeah, I think I think no, he was he was he, you know, he was very very good when he came on. Again, it's really hard to tell because you've got. Playing in uh, an Italian team that Scotland were at that point letting play. So, if you've got anything about you at that point, you are going to get space to run. You're going to get space to do stuff. And I think he, he took his opportunities very, very well. The proof of the pudding is now: how do you play against a team that aren't going to give you that space? Mm. Are you so? And one of my favourite Italian players of, of many, many years. Uh, was uh, uh, Capignaro uh, at 13. I think uh, he was uh, brilliant for them at 13. And this guy looks like, he's, he's a different player, but it looks like he's got a bit of X factor about it. Looks like he's got that footwork. Could cause some issues. The problem with Italian rugby is he's got to have ball to do that. And, That's true. You know, and Garabisi for, for being to, a to fantastic be fair, player. He didn't, he didn't try to do too much. Like, he got his try, and you, you could see him feeling all pumped up, and then he did some yep. stuff. But then, a couple of times, they gave him the ball, 
and you could see him thinking, "Ooh, is it my shot?" And it, and the answer was, "No, I'm going to hand it. I'm going to pass it off here." Like he's positions. It was really good, which is a great sign for a young guy making his yeah. debut like that to be able to make those sensible decisions in you know a very big atmosphere. Um, excitement can take over. So no, I was I was incredibly impressed with him. I thought. I thought Italy, that was the best performance of, of this tournament by a, lot. by a long, long way. And actually, yeah. I think it was the best performance of the last maybe three or four tournaments by a long, long way. But I if, still don't think Scotland's necessarily... I think if Scotland came out to play in the first 10, 15 minutes and shut Italy down, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, have been, we wouldn't be talking about Italy as having had a good game. Mm. So... I don't, Squidge was predicting Italy is just going to keep getting better and better throughout this tournament, and he even said something about the, the team that faces them last. Be worried. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wales. Uh, I'm not so <laughs> sure about that. If if Wales can hold France to 13, you know that's not four and a half tries a game <laughs> like we're giving up right now. So, well, no, I I genuinely don't think it. Italy are not going to they're not going to beat Wales, right? We 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 can laugh and joke about it. I think Italy have improved. Throughout the tournament, I think Squidge is absolutely right, or Mr. Squidge, as I was calling. Mr. Squidge. Um, <laughs> such a reverence. Sorry, Mr. Squidge. My father is Mr. Squidge. Just <laughs> Mr. Squidge, sir. <laughs> um, Please, Squidge, can but, I have some more? Uh, I mean, absolutely. He's, he's good value. He is good value. So, uh, But yeah, I think Italy are nowhere near Wales. They're nowhere near Wales. They're actually on most. Most days they're nowhere near Scotland either, and that's the disappointment from the weekend. That yeah, we we gave a team that aren't they aren't even they're not they're not in our league. They shouldn't be in our league, and we let them play, and we let them cause us problems. And our discipline was shocking. So, do you think that very last try they got to make the score even kind of closer um, could that have been avoided by not doing the let's put on these four guys for four minutes? Uh, potentially. Potentially, I think. Um, I mean, it could have been avoided by not, you know, not, not conceding territory as easily as we did. <laughs> um, but you know, I think at that at that point, you could actually see the try coming from quite a wee while back. Mm. Scotland had stopped playing, and it was I, interesting. I, a few people have said that. Is is that true? Do you think? Because I, uh, I didn't looked, really notice at the time. I, I didn't feel like, oh, we've given up. It just felt like mistakes and mistakes. I, I, I mean, I don't know the difference. Mistakes it's, mistakes come about much easier when you kind of switch off. And hmm. if, if you're fully engaged in what you're doing, you don't make the mistakes Scotland were making. Um, if you're calling it in at that point and being like, well, nah, we've got the game won, we've got 20 minutes left. I've got a, I've got a game for Glasgow at the weekend, or I've you know I'm playing for my club, or I'll keep myself fresh for the Ireland game. Mm. You start calling it in, you start making mistakes, and to me, Scotland arrogantly switched off, um, and it's not the first time we've done that against Italy. Mm. There was a, a game a couple of seasons ago where we had the game dead and buried, and then we conceded three tries in the last ten minutes, and we've got now we've got a habit of doing this. Um, I don't think the game was ever in any danger and ever in any doubt. Didn't feel like that. Not necessarily. But still very disappointing. If the game was 100 minutes instead of 80, I would have been very worried. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, like... But I think there would have been a reaction if that had been the case. Like, that, yeah, that uh, last try going in. 
Yeah, lots of other stuff. There would have had to, had to be a reaction, but no, it was it was really disappointing for Scotland and um, really poor. And you know, I think Italy Italy deserved to be within that range, given given what they'd what they'd created. But for me, Scotland should have could have definitely been a lot further ahead. And had we played played some rugby instead of just kicking ball away. I've heard two different ways to spin this, and I can see both of them pretty easily. So I'm wondering, as a as a true Scot Scottish fan, I've heard, "Hey man, four or five years ago, this was always a banana skin game. It was always a, oh, we might not win this game, and now it is legitimately, yes, we're going to win this game, and that has held true." On the other hand we were sort of known for defense for the last couple of years. And now we're shipping nine tries over two, including letting Italy score three times as many as they scored in the previous three matches. Um, if you're the spin doctor for Scotland right now, where are you? I mean, there's, there's no spin that can be applied to this. For me, it was a very, very poor performance. Mm. Um, I think we're absolutely right to say that Italy wear a banana skin for many, many years. They've not been, we've not been beaten by them in about seven years, I think it is. Yep. Uh, we were the last ones, right? Ah, in, probably, in six yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, and, 2015, I'm pretty sure you just said it, nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to say that, so we judge, I said it earlier on, we're judging Scotland on a different level now. It's, we expect more of them. They've got cracking players who've won the biggest tournaments in club rugby. We expect more of this team. And we expect more of the game plan. We expect we've shown that we're able to compete at this level. And like the last two Six Nations, there's been you know handfuls of points go either way, and Scotland win titles. This season has been a huge step back, and the fact that we were even talking about Italy as a banana skin before the match shows actually where the mindset is and how how much we've went backwards. This season, the confidence in Scottish rugby has evaporated. And it's really disappointing because you've got Edinburgh playing amazing rugby under Mike Blair. Uh, Craig will love that mentioning this, but you know, oh. they're they're playing really, really well. You've got a lot of confident players playing for Edinburgh. Glasgow, on the other hand, Glasgow are more representative of what Scotland are doing, in that Glasgow are very, very, very poor at and seem not to have a coherent game plan. Well, we've, so, we've, we've talked about your lack of faith in the coaching situation yeah, in Glasgow right now. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's quite indicative that Scotland seem to be suffering from a lot of the same issues. Mm. And it's not that the personnel, there's actually the lowest number of Warriors in the squad for quite some time. But it's just it just seems, it feels the same. Like I felt the same. We watching Scotland against like France and against Wales, as I did watching Glasgow against the Ospreys the other night. It was just I just felt bad about the game plan. Mm. So, do you want a positive to, to end on? 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Definitely, please. I was just about uh, to transition to the, the previous next week, but yeah. I, I, I mean, look like, this little, uh, the dog. I know, I yeah. We're total, total downbeat, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like, let's, let's. You know what? We should just quit rugby. We should just quit watching. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's rugby. <laughs> rugby is a terrible It's place. an English game anyway. They can have yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, right. Let's talk positives. Bonus point victory. Yep. Couple of individual standout performances. George Turner looked amazing. A brace Again, for Chris Harris. Brace for Chris Harris. That'll put the he doesn't score tries people back in the mm-hmm. box for another season. And in true positive style, the Free Jacks got their first win. Yeah, they did. To, to, so you know, I was there. You were there. That's right. Twenty-one fifteen. Exactly right. It was awesome. Fifteen against Toronto. The players were miserable. It was yeah. It was, <laughs> it was a nasty night. It was it? basically a blizzard by the end. So yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair to you, I'm looking at the stats just now. That's a it's a big big win for the Three Jacks, given the amount of defence you had to do. Uh, you conceded a lot of penalties. Your opposition only conceded two penalties. Two penalties. What? Yeah, it's funny. I mentioned recently, last year in Major League Rugby, there were five red cards for the league. And I'm like, so does that tell you that we're the most disciplined league on earth? Or or perhaps our ref's a little, you know. Uh, Yeah, not quite going there yet. But no, I mean, from the stats, it looked like that was a good game. Um, You've obviously got the victory there. Well, I, I checked, I checked start, with so. you about uh, Dougie Fife in his return yeah. from, from Dougie Prison. Uh, I, I'm not <laughs> even convinced he touched the ball. No. <laughs> I'm not convinced yeah. he touched the ball. He did a lot of standing around. He did a lot of jumping jacks in the snow. Trying to I, get I'm, I'm not convinced that's a bad thing, though. I think like that's, that, that's, that's a good outcome. If Dougie Fife doesn't touch the ball and you get a win, I think that's a fine outcome. That's okay. a great point. <laughs> I mean, it, it didn't impact our love for him for sure. He he's still a free jacks oh, fan we, for sure. We 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 love Dougie over here as well. One one of the funniest things watching the the MLR broadcast. So of course we've got Bowden Waka, who is our best player. He might be the best player in Major League Rugby. He won yeah, the yeah. championship for Waikato just before he came back to play with us. He's unbelievable. And uh, but on the broadcast, they always call him Bodine. Oh, and the ball goes to Bodine. I'm like, he's not a linebacker from UT El Paso. Okay? <laughs> he's not a 15-year-old Texan kid. His name's not Bodine. Can, can we stop it, please? Yes, let's let's all let's all get a grip of ourselves here and get this right. Bodine. Bodine honestly. <laughs> honestly. So John, next Saturday, it is the final weekend for Six Nations 2022, which yep. means it's Super Saturday. All three matches played right in a row. That yep. means Wales will be welcoming Italy to start things off at the beginning. Uh, what are your thoughts about that one, and who's going to win? Um, yeah, so Wales comfortably for me. I don't, I don't, I don't see any issue for Wales whatsoever. Um, Italy, I think they'll compete for the again. It's the cliche, but they'll compete for the first fifty minutes, and then Wales will blow them off the park. So, in my notes, I wrote uh, then next is a, a very much off the boil Scotland team who might have to check the airport lost and found to try to find their defense. 
if they could find their confidence in there as well. <laughs> uh, well I, I think well, they packed it underneath the iPad, right? In the suitcase. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is it in the wee, you know, the like your case you've got the zip bit that goes underneath? <laughs> I think it might be in, like they've not checked in there. I think it might be in there. I often put my passport in there and then forget where I put it. So that's where they need to look. I mean, for me, they might have to check the vomit bag on the plane itself. <laughs> I definitely. Yeah, I mean, but, but the, the, they'll be headed to Dublin for what feels like a date with an executioner. Yeah, uh, how do you see this one going? Um, I don't see it going necessarily that well. Um, I think Scotland's. Do you give us a chance? Because like, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. Do you know, if we play anything like we have done this Six Nations, no, I don't give us a chance. Right. Uh, I think we would need to see a Scotland that we've not seen this year mm. to, oh, I think oh, you're right. well, th- this season. We would need to see a Scotland of last year to be in with a shout of competing. I don't think Ireland are as good as people are making out. Mm. But I've said that so many times, and they are one of Scotland's teams that we struggle. We do struggle against them. Lviv the is a hard place to play. It is, yeah, and you know, not many teams come away with wins over there. Um, if we play twenty five percent as badly as we have done, though, we're going to get smashed. Um, That's I my fear. fear. Fear that Ireland will be looking to put a statement on us and just really because again they're in our World Cup group. So if, if Ireland come out and score two quick tries in the first, you know, ten minutes, what does Scotland do? Do you think we react well, or do you think that it, it'll I think this Scotland react badly. I think this Scotland would be overplaying. Um, I think if they can channel some of the, the confidence from last year and you know just like leadership and really just kind of calm themselves down, then I think they could they could start to like. I think if Ireland's got twice quick succession, game's over for me. But I think Scotland's reaction to that is really important. Right. Um, I think they might be able to come back into the game and make it competitive, but I think ultimately, I think Ireland will have too much for us. Um, it'll be interesting to see where we get in terms of refereeing, see where we get in terms of the the, the set piece. But, yeah, for me, Ireland's, unfortunately, Ireland should be too good for us, but this, it would be peak Scotland to have this bad of Six Nations and then go and beat Ireland in the last day. It would be peak Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, it would be. So you know so, that that could happen too. You mentioned the set piece. I have become obsessed with the line out and how important it is, and just ha- how complicated it is, and how how yep. how crucial it is to success. Um, the Crusaders down in Super Rugby, they have a ninety percent success yep. rate on their lineouts right now. I don't think any teams are necessarily close to that. I think eighty might be a really really good percentage for other teams, especially up in the northern hemisphere. Um, how do you feel about that right now for us? Um, so I think I think the line-out has operated, right, so the, the, the line-out operated without confidence at the weekend. You can see that from the number of long throws that took place. So there was at least... I, I feel like the long throws come when you're, you are confident because it's such a, a gamble. Am I opposite about that? Um, so I, I I see what you're saying, but for me, the percentage play, so the confident play, is to just put it into the middle of the the second okay. rows. 
if you're not confident or you think you've been worked out, then that is, it's kind of what we'd call a trick play, where you would okay. like you would throw long, or you saw, saw them later on in the game play a short one, where right. I think it was uh, Schoolman was at the, the, the front of the line and it yep. was just a short ball to him. That, to me, speaks of, again, a lack of confidence in your jumpers. Turner was throwing well, I thought. So it was surprising to me that the line-out wasn't utilised. It has been a massive weapon for Scotland as well. The the, the line-out in Mall has been something we've utilised a lot. Mm-hmm. And we just seem to not go there with it. And, uh, yeah, just... A lot of, again, this is, it's like, the line-out is like a microcosm of the game. It's so many confusing decisions that we make. Yeah, yeah. And like you described the, the scrimmage, it's, it's a game within a game, too. Yeah, it is, it is. And we have good operators in there. Um, it's just, yeah, that just strikes me. There's a lack of confidence across the piece just now that really is holding Scotland back. I, I meant to look it up Um I mean, we both kind of think France probably just going to outright win the Grand Slam. But yeah. if France somehow lose and Ireland get a bonus point win, can Ireland still win? Ireland could win the championship. So they if can. Ireland... Wow. Yeah, I, if Ireland Hard to win... Believe. Um, oh, yeah, they don't Ireland, need a bonus point win? They just need a no, win? No, I believe, I believe if Ireland win... If France lose. So, uh, if France lose without a bonus point, Wow. Um, they can win. So Six Nations, let's get the 2022 table up in front of us. Seymour uh, table, there we are. Yeah, so uh, so Ireland are only two points behind France at the moment. Oh, dang. So Ireland are on 16, France are on 18. So any Ireland wow. win takes oh, them to 20, Ireland, 20 points. You know, we talked before how their abbreviation is IR. We're going to see that on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any Ireland win, France need two bonus points in a loss, or they okay. need to win. Or I mean, a draw, a draw would suffice with bonus points. And I feel like England is really unpredictable right now. That's the final yeah. game for this this year's Six Nations. France, they'll be back home in Paris. That's going to be huge. That place yeah. is going to be loud, and an unpredictable England team is going to be showing up there. Uh, they've got injury problems. They have. Yep. psychological problems <laughs> I don't know but uh, yeah, they de- definitely what do you think is actually going to happen do you know I think I think France France have been building to this point for a few years now and I think England will be going over there with the idea of being the party poopers yeah I don't see them doing it I think France will be way too strong for them I think Backed by a massive crowd. After after four matches, when Eddie Jones has been able to look at what France does and combine all this stuff and come up with a game plan, and you know, I like to make fun of Eddie Jones, but he's obviously an exceptional coach, and yep, yep. he's got an exceptional team. They can all, you know, it's their sport. <laughs> they they can yeah, always true. win. Um, do you think they have? They can maybe bring a game plan that can frustrate France in some way. Yeah, I think they can. I think the problem you've got at the moment for England is personnel-wise, they, they've they kind of got a bit of an identity crisis going on in terms of who... So, obviously, their forward pack is amongst the best in world rugby. And for sure. Always, always will cause issues. I think they still lack... I, I just can't get on board with the Tom Curry 
Tom Curry is not the messiah that the English rugby think he is. Um, but they have the makings of a very strong pack. Then behind that, I think, you know, we're talking about a fairly, a fairly raw nine, a fairly raw ten. True. A 12-13 partnership that had never been together. The nine and ten combo in France. Not uh, raw. Not raw. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and what, what you need with when you've got a raw nine and ten like that, so Marcus Smith, a phenomenal player, but you still need at that stage in your career, you still need experience, almost an offload at twelve. They're playing uh, Henry Slade at twelve now. That is a lightweight centre playing at twelve, who is normally a thirteen. So again, we've talked in this podcast about the differences between twelve and thirteen. Right, right. He doesn't offer the same kind of breaking the line threat from 12. And for me, the English centers are the problem at the moment. And I don't know if they've I don't know if they've got the personnel to crack that before the World Cup. So I've I've got literally 30 seconds before I have to physically run out the door and meet my son at the bus. John, who wins this uh the Six Nations? Uh France. France. France win it. Yeah, France will France will will they will beat England, yeah. I've no doubt. My friend, it has been the best to see you. You are the coolest person in the world. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you in person someday. And uh until next time, thank you so much for joining us here on the Scrum of the Earth. It is always the best. No problem, buddy. Thank you for having me. Okay, my friends, that does it for this part of this two-part episode for this weekend. I hope you enjoyed it. I can't tell you how much fun it is to talk to John. It's just uh, He's such an expert, but also just such a fun guy to talk to. It's just incredible. I hope you're enjoying him as much as I am. Um, of course, I'll be linking his show in my show notes, as I always do. And if you'd like to get in touch, just use Twitter. I'm at Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. You can always just email thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. If you could bring yourself to drop me a nice review, it would really help. It would, it would be great. Uh, they are precious few and far between, so that would be a huge benefit for me and really help grow the, grow the pod. So thank you all again, all of you across the globe. Thank you for coming along. Cheers. Talk to you soon, and be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, it does, neat. <laughs>